Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Michigan Crossbow Hunters podcast. My name is Martin Schindel. I'm the owner and founder of Michigan Crossbow Hunters, and tonight my guest is Dan DeWitt. Dan, how are you tonight? Man, Martin, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, hey, thanks for uh, being here. So the reason I have you on is we're going to be talking about mock scrapes and their importance to hunting, and not only hunting, but in reference to keeping inventory of your deer throughout the year. When we usually do podcasts, I always have have somebody tell me first off how you got started hunting who got you involved in hunting and you know one hunt that if money were no object where are you going and what are we doing well i started hunting at uh the age of four my dad i shot my first squirrel at age four my first deer at age six and i'm 61 years old so i've been at it a while You know, we talked earlier about Africa, but, you know, if one hunt I could go do, and I'd love to go do the hunt, I'd love to do a moose in the Yukon. I think that would be outstanding. Oh, that would absolutely be an amazing trip, amazing memories, and some amazing scenery for sure. See, I'm I'm definitely on the on the Africa train because I have always wanted to go to Africa ever since I was about... I don't know, 11 or 12, I was watching a show, um, a hunting show, and they uh, they were in Africa, and I seen a kudu bull and a gemsbuck and warthog, and I just, that's something that I've always wanted to do, and one day, I will get there. Well, I hope you do, and this June, my wife and I are taking a trip to Africa. I'm going to be shooting a uh, Cape buffalo and a crocodile with a prototype crossbow and my wife's going to be shooting Elon with her vertical crossbow. Oh my goodness. Yes. And a few I'm, other critters too, but that's, that's our go after animal. Right. Oh, so have you been to Africa before? I sure have. What was the most that, uh, you, you took when you went to Africa the first time? Well, I took a hippo and a couple of plane games animals. <laughs> with a rifle or with yes, a, it was with, with a, a rifle. Cro- it was with a rifle. Okay. Awesome. So let's, Right into into the reason that we're here. We're talking about um, mock scrapes. How did you get into working with mock scrapes? Well, I kind of backed my way into it. When I was in my late teens, I was chasing this big buck in the National Forest back in Louisiana, where I'm from. And he had two scrapes on this ridge. And I'd hunt one, and of course, he'd go check the other one and vice versa. And so what I did, I threw leaves into one and I actually urinated in it. And went and hunted the other one and didn't see anything that morning. I went and checked that other one. And guess what? The one I threw leaves in and urinated in, he'd got in it. So that really got me fascinated with the whole scrape idea. And from there, for the last, oh, nearly five decades, well, four decades, I just really got into using mock scrapes for hunting and for year-round inventory of deer, going into areas that I've never hunted and just setting them up and starting to get, uh, you know, now that we've got trail cameras, which is an awesome tool along with a mock scrape, you can go in and and inventory the area without putting a lot of pressure on that area. See, and that's what we talked about before is a lot of people don't understand that you go in to an area in February and March – and you set up your mock scrapes then because deer are still communicating and still using the mock scrapes as a communication tool, correct? That's absolutely correct. My favorite month of the year to scout is February in the south because we don't have the snow trails like y'all have. But you can find the scrapes that the deer have set up. You can find good rub lines that time of the year because there's no obstructions in your way. 
And that's what I try to do. I try to find a good rub line and get a good low-hanging branch right off that rub line. And that's where I like to start setting up mock scrapes and putting out cameras. And you will be surprised at the amount of pictures you get February, March, April, May, June, July, August, all the way back through the hunting season. It's amazing. Now, when you set up these mock scrapes, do you dig up the ground a little scrape up? Oh, absolutely. What I do is I'll find a, a good overhanging branch and I will dig it out real good, clean the ground just like a deer would. And then I will use, I have found in the last few years that using synthetic deer lures actually work on average better than the real thing they really do now why do you think that is why do you think the synthetic is is working better well i think because the consistency of breakdown any natural deer urine as soon as you take it out of the bottle is going to start breaking down and i think the synthetics don't have near the breakdown effect is the only thing i mean i'm not no chemist but i think that's i think that's the real reason I think they actually last a little longer and uh, the longer, uh, and that's something else too. I think when people are using scents, they really got to be careful because a little goes a long way in the deer world because their sense of smell is way beyond ours. And, and I'll give you an example. Like if you ever go plow a field or something, deer love to get in that fresh dirt. So if you dig up the dirt in that mock scrape, it, they've got the, the, the dirt smell and whatever scent that you choose to put in it. So to me, it's kind of a dual attractant. And I also put some type of lure on a limb, you know, whether it be a pre-orbital or something, you know, or even a, even some uh, buck urine or doe urine, I'm going to put something on the limb that's going to get their attention. Definitely, yeah. Um, I have what uh, what's called the Pops Loose Moose Limb Licker, and I spray that on my licking branch, and that creates a natural... Uh, licking branch for them and then i'll put a little bit of the the grape tonic underneath it and they they go wild over it i mean i had a pic, uh, picture and video of a doe there was no hesitation she came right into this branch and just started mowing down on the leaves and just chewing it up well and i think something else too especially if you run a lot of cameras and do a lot of mock scrapes because i really try to get out there and do them a lot of different areas but people don't realize the amount of activity that does spend in mock scrapes are scrapes. Natural scrapes are the ones you create. And that brings us to another idea. When you find in February, March, abandoned, well, they're not really abandoned, but scrapes that were used heavily during the rut, I take them over. I'll start putting in my scents. I'll dig holes, you know, I'll dig them up and I'll freshen them up because it will absolutely bring the deer, brings them in. Well, and it's also a territorial thing. You start encroaching on a buck's territory and you sure. start taking that scrape over that he put in the rut, he's going to be absolutely enraged. Absolutely. And if you use some kind of buck tarsal smell in that during the rut, it really will create a better hunting environment for yourself. And, and also, if you're using the cameras and using a, a good scent, you don't have to check them as often. And uh, once you pull them, and especially now, this year, I'm excited about trying these cellular-type cameras. I know a lot. I'm, I'm kind of behind the times on that. But if you can know what buck or doe is visiting your area and when they're doing it immediately, uh, really looking forward to doing that this year. I tell you what, Dan, I do have... Uh, well, I had borrowed a reveal tacticam from 
uh, one of my admins on MCH, and I, I was testing it just to see, first off, if it would work in my area, because like I have Verizon cell service, and it is absolutely horrific here where I live. So I put the camera up, and I had full bars, 4G, everything ready to go, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to work pretty good. Put it out, and I have my wife addicted. I have my kids addicted to it. I'm addicted to it. I can't believe the amount of stuff that I've missed with just my regular cameras. The are amazing, and and it sends you a picture right to an app on your phone. You know, it's, it's amazing with technology, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, we didn't have trail cameras. And basically what, what we looked for were tracks in the mock scrape or the scrape, you know, that we were docked. And you can, you, you know, you can know exactly what time he was, how long he visited or how long she visited, um, you know, whether it's a mature deer and I mean, Technology has really given the hunters an edge, and using an old science of mock scrapes or scrapes that you doctor, man, what an edge when it comes to whitetail hunting. It's amazing. So when you doctor these up, what are you using? Besides, obviously, you said a synthetic, but what are you using? Do you have a specific brand you're using? I actually do. I have my own brand, and I'm releasing some more products this July. Oh, you have your own brand. That's awesome. Yeah. What What is it called? Well, the name of my company is Old Indian Tricks LLC. And the one that we really, really hit the surface with last year and ran with was Cuz's Cooter Juice. And I'm going to have Cuz's Rookham Juice and Cuz's Seymour Deer that we're going to introduce next uh, early fall, well, late summer, so that people can start using these products with their trail cameras and, uh, and their hunting. Huh. That's awesome. Now, when you when you take over a scrape, what is the first thing you do? Obviously, you're going to find the scrape, see if it's active or inactive. After that, what is what's the first step you're going to do? Well, that depends on what time it is, uh, the year it is. It, like right now, I use I try to use a uh, just a buck or a doe urine in the scrape. Nothing real strong, but yet just something that's like a community deer, any deer walking through the area just checking it out then as summer gets here to late summer i start adding a little more tarsal type scents to it and then and i'm ready to hunt i use a uh well i use the cousin's cooter juice because it has it has several things that are really explosive during during the rut but and any scent any sense uh, let me just say this when you're using said don't overuse them but any good quality scent will work if you're using it consistently. And by consistently, what do you mean? Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you go on there one in June and put out a little bit and you don't go back to September and put out a little bit, there's no consistency in what you're doing. But if you go in every two to three weeks, freshen it up, put some scent out, you know, you especially with these uh, cellular cameras because you can really watch the movement of your deer. And here's here's something that people kind of like, laugh at me about, but the two times of day that I really check my mock scrapes are midnight and midday as long as we're not on a full moon. And why is that? Well, now on a full moon, deer move during the uh, middle of the day and they move around midnight. That's just the way deer move. So if I'm using those two times of the day 
off the full moon, I'm having a less chance of bumping a deer out of the area that I'm hunting. Gotcha. So it, it's still based on the consistency and getting them used to your movement as well. That's right. That's exactly right. And I even set a lot of my stands at night because I found it's just less intrusive to the deer by doing it at night. I have no scientific reasoning behind that. I've just got years and years of doing it. And I've gone in at eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night and set up a stand, be back in that stand before daylight the next morning and, and shoot a deer the first set. And I've had that happen way numerous times. So it's not an accident, you know what See, I'm saying? Right. See, a lot of people that I talk to, I'm not as well connected in the in the outdoor industry as you are, but I'm fairly connected. And the people that I talk to, you know, deer move at night, correct, but they feel safer at night and they're not as skittish. You know, during the day they see you, you're you're done. You're not going to see the deer. Or if you do, if they see you again, you're not going to see it again. Well, typically, if you're moving at night, you've got some kind of illumination in front of you, okay? So the deer may not see you, but they may see your light. And I typically run green lights, and that's what I do. Now, during the daytime, if you're walking through the woods and you bump a deer, that deer sees you. There's no doubt that deer sees you. You know what I mean? So that's... That's right. why I try to do a lot of my stuff at night. Well, and the way deer eyes work, uh, along with a lot of other animals, a green or red light is invisible to them. They can't see that spectrum. Now, I know I have walked right up on deer at night with a green light, and they sit there and they bob their head and they walk on off, and I let them leave and then move forward. And I just, I don't know, it just seems to be my way that's really kind of worked for me. You know, I'm not saying it works for everybody but it's really been successful for me. Right, and that just falls into the category, if it ain't broke, why fix it? That's it. So when you get a mock scrape going, you typically set it up. How soon after you get it going do you see, how do I want to put this, How do you? when do you start seeing activity? I've had activity within an hour of setting up a mock scrape, but typically I'm looking for 72 hours. Typically, you're going to get, if you don't get movement in that first 72 hours, you're on the wrong deer trail. Gotcha. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, obviously, three days, you're you're looking at, if there's not a deer walking through there in three days, there's not going to be a deer walking through there in five days. Now, I'm not going to go back and check it in three days. I'm going to give it a couple of weeks. But when I pull those cameras cards and I start looking at those dates... You know, sometimes, I mean, I've had them go three or four days and not have a deer, and then all of a sudden, maybe on the fifth or sixth day, you get a deer, and on the tenth day, you get a deer. But I find that areas that I want to concentrate on, I'm getting great activity in that first 72 hours. I mean, you're going to get multiple deer there. Right. I'm looking for how they react to it. Did they stick their nose in the ground? Did they sniff the licking branch? Did they lick on the licking branch? Uh, Did they rub their forehead on it? The more activity that multiple deer do at that site in that initial, you know, two or three days, if they really get involved in it, I know it's a place I can focus on throughout the year. If they don't, then I'm going to be scouting for that next place to move that camera to. You know what I'm saying? It's just I'm looking for that that great reaction, doe or buck. It doesn't matter because, you know, everybody knows this. If the does come the buck will follow and that's what everybody with like buckstick lick it and stuff like that (laughs) but if you got does on it you're gonna have bucks on it trust me sure well and that's and that's something else too if i get a uh a mock scrape set up 
and the first three days, I don't have any antlers on it. Or in the off season, I, I, you know, you can tell because the deer are moving around enough. You can tell whether it's a buck or not. I want activity because activity creates more activity. Non-activity creates nothing. I think, unfortunately, we live in such a social media society that John Doe goes out there, puts up something, kills a 180-inch deer off of it within 20 minutes of hunting, and that becomes the expectation. It's still deer hunting. It's still patience. It's still timing. You know, you can have the best gadgets and gadgets and the best scents out there and still not kill a deer because there's so many other factors that come into play. But at the same time, I try to run a lot of multiple mock scrapes in multiple areas so that I can find the most activity and the most productivity. And that's where I'm going to hunt. Right. Well, let's see. In the past, since February, I've got about 12 new ones going. And I've probably got 18, 20 that I'm spinning a plate. Because something else I've found, once you find a great scrape, mock scrape, their scrape and like if it's their scrape and you start adding your stuff and i call it taking a scrape over i've got trees that i've got throughout the national forest throughout my properties that i hunt that they go every year year after year after year and go to that same tree unless it you know unless it gets cut down or something because of logging or whatever but i've got one particular holly tree that i know deer have have been there for 30 years Oh, wow. I think there's a thing, and I, I, you know, this is my kind of terminology. There's a community pawing or scrape, as y'all, you know, as people call them. I've never seen a deer scrape the ground if they do paw it, but anyway, you call them scrapes. But there are community scrapes that every deer in an area, sometimes they're, they're natural, and sometimes you have to get lucky and create it at the exact right spot that just keeps them coming and coming and coming and coming. I've got a mock scrape in the National Forest that I bet in the last 15 years there's been 11 good bucks shot off that one tree. Yeah. So, uh, do you have the GPS coordinates for that, or uh, <laughs> how does that work? How do we get in on that? Well, it's just uh, now that we got our own X and hunt stand and all this other stuff, yeah, I do. Right. Uh, I was showing some guys in a seminar I was doing the other night. I just kind of briefly held up my phone and went through like five states. And I said, now look at all those little red dots. And they're like, what's that? I said, that's pins where I got box scrapes in multiple states. So what has been the most successful state for you as far as mock scrapes? And what do you mean by that specifically? What's been well, the most? you obviously live in Louisiana, but you hunt multitude of states. What has been the one state that has consistently produced for you on the mock scrapes? Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, Illinois, Missouri, Alabama, everywhere I really hunt. So every everywhere that you've put in a mock scrape, it's it's worked out yeah, to your And I got advantage. buddies in other states that do it with me and we share information all the time. I got a buddy in Indiana that he's really got into that in the last he's always had great success hunting but he's got into that in about the last 10 years and this guy kills giants in indiana and i mean when i say giants i'm talking about everything above 160 and up every year consistently off of his mock scrapes that's pretty amazing yeah it is but he's got one of them areas that just produce big deer and he's learned like this past year he killed a 25 inch spread monster with a 11 inch drop time 
Okay. Now that's a good deer anywhere. And, anywhere, and he definitely. killed that deer and a mock scrape that he's been running probably seven, eight years. Nice. So you've been running mock scrapes for 40 years, but they have only really hit the outdoor industry community, I would say, what, the last four or five years? Because of social media. And let me tell you something. When I used to go do seminars and different places back in the day, people would laugh when you, oh, that won't work, that's crazy, that's stupid, da-da-da-da-da. But now that social media instantly shows people success, it's changed the mentality of people wanting to get into it. And there again, I, I do a lot of talking on this subject, but most people... They'll go set up one or two, and they don't work out, so people immediately draw the conclusion, well, they deer don't do that where I'm at. Deer do it everywhere. I've never found a state yet that I couldn't make mock scrapes work and work well, but you've got, you just can't put up one or two. You've got to go keep scouting, and, and then once you really learn how to run rub lines and, and really look for what those deer are looking for, and you find those really great scrapes that they left over, in February and March and you find them and you start taking those scrapes over and you and you start adding to them, that's when you really start knocking a home run with it. And because you start learning, your learning curve goes really exponential at that point. I know the first year that I lived here at, at the house that we bought a couple of years ago said, I'm going to prove your product doesn't work and I'm going to have it on film or rather I'm going to have it on my camera and I put it out and it wasn't 11 hours later I had deer activity on it and I went well that didn't work out so well for me but <laughs> I had put a mock scrape under somebody had suggested it so I'm like mock scrapes you know that was like the first time I'd ever heard about doing mock scrapes other than doing them during you know the the typical rut so I put it out and I put a mock scrape under it and I, I you know doctored it up a little and pulled the SD card from my camera on that buck stick I had this little fork horn who thought he was big man on campus came and took it over just absolutely tore it to shreds and that was enlightenment of hey this this might actually you know that's the thing people they go try something once or twice and it doesn't work so they assume it don't work in their area or they you know well that don't work here it works in texas or it don't work here it works in illinois or wherever you know what i'm saying i don't care what you're counting is the number one key to success of of killing deer, setting up mock scrapes, finding scrapes, and once you get into that scouting mode, and I, it's like I tell everybody, when I'm turkey hunting, I'm scouting for deer, and when I'm deer hunting, I'm scouting for turkeys, but when I'm deer hunting, I'm still scouting for deer. Right. Well, and when you're turkey hunting, you always see deer. I mean, it's it's inevitable. It makes sense if you're if you're turkey hunting, just just look for the deer sign. I mean, it's there. You're not going to miss it. Well, I'll give you an example. Two year, no, three years ago, I came over and hunted with some friends in Mississippi I had never turkey hunted with, and and we got out. We did a lot of walking, a lot of scouting, had a lot of fun, killed some birds. But I found two unbelievable scrapes, and like, and they were like four or five miles apart on one property, and then on another property. And I told these guys, I said, we need to set these up, get them going, and y'all will kill big deer here. Well, we did. We got them set up. We got them going. We put out stuff. We got the deer coming. At the first one I found, my buddy's cousin missed the biggest buck he'd ever seen in his life. And it was a monster because this guy's killed some great deer in Mississippi. 
this year, my buddy, he didn't get to hunt his last year because things going on in his life. This year, the first morning, because he, he has to work a lot, the first morning, he didn't even get off work till like 8 o'clock in the morning. He drives up to, to his stand. He walks in there, and he sits down. He didn't even... He just sat out on the ground because he was sleepy and he didn't want to get in his tree. Well, guess what happened? The buck woke him up and he shoots a big eight point in this mock scrape that we had taken Nice. Over. So when you're turkey hunting, do you, in your turkey vest or whatever you have, do you, do you keep your. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I can always, t- I can, I can always take a camera back. But you can't always add something to help you don't right. have it. Yeah, your and I, I have that envision where you're just like, Oh, there's one and I just pull out pull out your stuff and go to it. Sure. And uh the the three that I found in the last two days had fresh deer tracks in them and the reason we know they were fresh because three days ago we had a flood oh, over here. Wow. So don't tell me they're not hitting scrapes this time of the year when there's fresh tracks right. in them. And, and after the, the water is receded. Sure. So, of course, they got a little uh, a splash of this and a splash of that, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Is there anything that you want to add, Dan, um, before we close up and, and finish this podcast up? Because I know you've got some family emergencies going on that you need to take care of. So is there anything that you can give our listeners to, as far as the best advice you could give them, to start a mock scrape besides start a mock scrape well start a mock scrape scout let me let me answer that like this before you're great at any everybody wants to be great but before you're great you got to become good and before you're good you just got to be bad and before you're bad you got to start so start doing mock scrapes start scouting for other scrapes take them over start scouting for rub lines and find that right low-hanging limb. And if it don't work this time, keep trying it. That's the key to success. It's just repetition. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you find those magical spots that you can go to every year and shoot deer. Right. Yeah, They're definitely. There. I mean, it's not like bad. You're still good. You're still learning something because you're learning, hey, that didn't work. I screwed it up or, you know. The deer didn't like what I did there. I'm going to try this or, you know, Hey, the deer liked that. And this is what I did. I might want to try it on the next one. Yep. And that's correct. I mean, and the thing is it with all this technology we have at our fingertips. Now the learning curve should just be a fraction of what it took me. I mean, I promise you this, I've made a thousand more mistakes than everybody else, but then by making so many mistakes, and doing so many things wrong, it's helped me to be tremendously successful. Right, because you learned what what not to do first off, and what what has worked, and what continues to work. And that's what a lot of my biggest issue with social media is is if it doesn't work the first time, people are so quick in this industry to bash it, and that oh irritates me to yeah. no end. It ticks me. We could do a podcast just oh on. Oh my bashing. god! Yes, we could. Oh, and that's, that is my biggest pet peeve because that is why I started Michigan crossbow hunters in the first place, because I jumped on, you know, a couple of groups and they're like, Hey, you know, everybody has that post. Hey, let's see your equipment. And I put, you know, I, I put my crossbow up there and 
I'm a cheater and I'm a, I'm a. That's not archery and blah, 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 blah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, look, look at my life. Okay. I'm in my sixties. I've shot a recurve bow for 26 years before I ever even went. Well, when I first started that, they had just patented the first compound bow in 1969. See, that's where people don't really understand compound bows have only been around a very short time and they really didn't catch traction until up in the 80s. Yeah, I was going okay? to say the mid-80s is when they actually first started gaining popularity. Yeah, and then, but see, back in that day, if we'd have had social media, all the recurve traditional shooters, what a bad, you know, because I remember going to all the coffee shops and all the pro shops back then, and it was the same conversation, but it was there instead of social media. You know, it was cheating. We was going to shoot all the deer. All the deer was going to get killed. You know, it was going to annihilate the deer herd. But what happened was it got more people involved in the sport quicker, easier, with a shorter learning curve. Yep. Now, now that I'm in my 60s, I can't shoot a 67-pound recurve anymore. I can't actually draw a 60 or 70-pound compound. So to be ethical, I went crossbow. And when I went crossbow about nine years ago, I went all the way. And I mean, I've, I've got a bunch of different, all kinds of different brands and shapes and sizes of crossbows. But I also go to the ATA and I shoot every cross, with the exception of this year, I go and shoot all the crossbows and do a review because I want people to know the good, the bad, and the ugly, but there, there's not a crossbow that they have at the ATA show. I wouldn't hunt anything on the North American continent. Right. Even, even your low-end, entry-level crossbows. And then you can spend up to thousands of dollars on a crossbow. There's a crossbow for everybody's budget, and that fits everybody. But you just got to go shoot them to see which one feels the best for you. There's not one size fits all. See, and that's what exist. I tell people when, you know, we get a lot of, lot of new people uh, especially this year during COVID, we got a lot of new people that said, hey, you know the post, I'm new to hunting, what's the best crossbow out there? Well, you ask that question to 100 people, you're going to get 100 different answers. And the, and the uniformed answer should be, go shoot several brands, a lot of models, and see which one fits you and your brand. And what I started doing is I started posting this question up, and I, I answered it this way and I'll, I'll read it to you because I, I can't remember it word for word but what I said is we get this question a lot we always have people PMing me or you know the admins and I tell them go to your local mom and pop shops especially the now because they're the ones that need the help the most and I tell Absolutely. them I'm like look you have Absolutely. a budget you have in mind what you want to spend stick with that budget don't go above, don't go below. If you want to go below, that's fine, but don't go above it just because your friend says, oh, the 10 point is a lot better. If you got a price point in mind, stick with that price point. Yeah, and I, and I really think people with the quality, you know, and, and we know how all the, you know, all the lower, you know, the entry level bows are bashed and all that stuff because that's just people. It's yep. just people. But man, I'm telling you, I got a $200 crossbow at the house that I'd go shoot an elk with. I wouldn't be scared to go shoot an elk. Now, do I have better crossbows? Absolutely. Have I learned a lot about crossbows? Yes, but it's been a nine-year learning curve. But the thing is, find one that fits your budget, just like you said, 
get familiar with crossbows, learn the do's and don'ts of crossbows, then you'll figure out how to be more effective. Well, the one thing that I tell people, I'm like, when you go in, obviously, if your price point is the 300 to five, six hundred dollar range, there's a lot of crossbows in that range. You're going to eliminate a majority of those because you just don't like the looks of them. And if you don't like the looks of them, you're not going to shoot it. That's right. And I tell people that, that's, and they're like, you know what? That really makes sense. What I tell people is the fit and finish. Does the bow fit you? And when you pull that trigger, how does it finish? Do you feel vibration? Was the trigger hard to pull? Did you hit the target? I didn't say, did you, Robin Hood? I said, did you hit the target? Because when you're testing a bow, a crossbow, I look for that fit and finish. I want it to fit me. I want it to finish. I want the trigger to be good. I don't want to feel a ton of vibration, and I don't need a little mule to pack it. Because some of the crossbows have gotten too heavy. But there again, there's a place for those. If you're shooting out of a box stand, that's a great place for that heavy type. See, and that's what I tell everybody. I'm like, eliminate them aesthetics-wise, because if you don't like it, you're not going to shoot it. Second, if you pick them up, you got to check the balance regardless if it's heavy or regardless if it's light. And that can be a, a big issue if it's too light for you, because now you're all over the, you, you know, you're doing the circle of death trying to trying to get your That's target cool. acquired. And I tell them, you know, find the one that fits you and is good for you, because what's good for you isn't necessarily what's good for me and vice versa. The same thing with broadheads. You go and check how many post about what's the best broadhead on the market well that's ask that a hundred times and you're going to get a thousand different answers <laughs> that's so true you know what the best broadhead the, is i'll tell for you, you the one that you kill with confidence exactly and i'll tell you something else too because of social media and and hunting shows i'll, I'll throw them in on the bus on this too they've expanded the range of archery beyond what i think now, I don't care how great a guy can shoot. That's fantastic. All these people shooting 100 yards and all that kind of stuff. But what happened to archery being a, in, I call it the red zone, inside the 20-yard line. Yep. And I'll, I'll tell you this, and this blows a lot of people's minds when I share this. I've, killed, I've been blessed to kill lots of animals with archery equipment, recurve, compound, crossbow. I have yet to shoot an animal in my career. I started shooting animals when I was 14 with a recurve bow. I'm 61, and I've yet to shoot an animal past 26 yards. Yep. And I, I got some dandies I've taken. See, my, I tell people my my preference is less than 40 yards. If, if a deer is inside that that 40 yard mark, I am confident in my equipment and that I know I can put that animal down. Oh, absolutely. And with the technology that we have in these products today, whether it be compound, recurve, crossbow, the technology is absolutely there for the 40-yard shot. But I set my hunt up for the 17-yard Right, exactly. Shot. And like I said, even though, yeah, that's, that's what I'm comfortable with, that doesn't mean that that's where my shot is getting placed. My shot from where I have one of my buck sticks to where my ground blind is, I think is like you said, 17, 18 yards. And, and people are just amazed at that. They're like, why you can, you can shoot a deer 40 yards. And I'm like, but I don't have to. That's the, that's 
the beauty of it is I don't have to shoot it at 40 yards. That's right. And, and but there again, that's all preference to, you know, everybody's different. You know, everybody's different. But once again, back to Mark Scrapes, just all I want to do is encourage people to go set up a lot of them. And it, it's not rocket science. It's not high tech redneck. You don't have to have, I mean, I don't even have cell cameras, which I'm going to buy some this year. You don't even have to have cameras because you can do it like we did in the old school days. Just clean the ground up real good, and we're a deer. You'll know if a deer's been in it because it's trapped. Right, it. or there's a wet spot in it. That's it. What every method you use, just go. You just go do enough of them that you start seeing the success that you want to succeed, and then you'll narrow in on the ones that you'll kill the the deer on. That'll happen. Right. All right, Dan. I'm gonna let you get get home and. I have prayers for your family and Thank you. Uh, you stay safe, drive safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, if people want to talk to me about mock scrapes, uh, I mean, it's Dan DeWitt on Facebook and I'm believe me, I'm the, I'm the old guy with a big beard. So I'm not hard to recognize. Cowboy. Uh, also, and the cowboy. Anyway, hat. Yeah. Dora yeah, and hat. Yep. And uh, also uh, I have a, a, a a talk for mock scrape nation, which I don't do much on at this time of the year. Cause, because people aren't really wanting to talk about mock scrapes. They want to talk about turkey hunting and fishing, but that's okay. Come this summer, we'll crank it up. We'll fire it up. And then, uh, for those that don't know, where do we find your cousin's cooter juice? Uh, old Indian tricks, LLC.com. And I don't, I won't make it available till about, probably june or july when i'll open the website back up but you can go look at it read about it and all that kind of stuff uh we'll be uh, bringing out the rookum juice which is these products are based on mock scrapes and scrapes and one of the the cooter juice is strictly a rut product and the uh, rookum juice is going to be a year-round product and believe me we're getting a lot of pictures right now with our uh we just got this I've been working, testing, and all kind of stuff on it. And believe me, here's one of the things that excites me about any scent. If you can get a bobcat to come to your scent, to me, I don't care what it is, you've accomplished something. I've got bobcats. I've got four different cats in the last six weeks in my box scrapes sniffing them. Yep, that's that's definitely, a, if you can fool fool a, a predator like that then you know something's working i had three guys last fall shoot uh bobcats coming to their cooter juice walking nice. their trail so if i can fool a cat I, that that uh, the 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 deer is easy. right all right dan be safe we'll talk to you later thank you sir you Have as well a blessed bye day.